thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Good evening. Uh, The Bible reading tonight is from Titus 2, verses 1 to 11. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Well, good evening, uh, church. It's great to uh, be here with you this evening and uh, worshipping and being led by, by Dave and Matt. And tonight I want to explore um, something that we all kind of, uh, I guess, are impacted by, and it's living under the influence. Living under the influence of technology. I mean, it's such a big part of our lives, isn't it? From the cars that we drive, the way we uh, buy and sell and bank, um, to the way we communicate we all live under the influence of technology. Now, I, I'm quite interested uh, in technology. I, I kind of like keeping up to date with all the, the latest and greatest things, particularly um, all the latest technology in the automotive industry in particular, but just in general, I'm really interested in um, all the cool new gadgets and uh, all that kind of thing. And, and it's one of those things that is just so, um, so much a part of our lives when you actually just take 30 seconds to think about it. And I must say that it is a little bit ironic that the week we're gathering together to have a discussion about technology, that um, on Thursday when the storm rolled through, there was actually a lightning strike that uh, wiped out um, a bit of the technology that we utilize here. And so I think that's a little bit um, ironic, hence the uh, black box here with the projector and some of the lights as you wander around, you might say, oh, try and turn that off and you can't, or you try and turn it on and you can't. Um, There's been, uh, yeah, there's a few things wiped out which we're getting fixed up this week, but it's a little bit ironic, isn't it, that we gather here to talk about technology and uh, we realize that, yes, we rely on it a little bit. you may or may not be aware, but um, just, uh, just over a week ago in Las Vegas, the Consumer Electronics Show uh, for 2016, CES 2016, happened. Um, and it's basically an opportunity for all the, the big uh, computer and electronic companies to get together, as well as some of the, the smaller um, innovators and entrepreneurs get together to showcase all the latest and greatest um, in technology. 
And there was an article this week in the City Morning Herald uh, by technology reporter Hannah Francis, and she tells uh, this story um, about an on-stage tech fail at this conference in Las Vegas. Uh, Basically, Microsoft marketing manager Brian Roper was showing some of the new steps in connectivity between uh, Cortana, which is their voice-activated personal assistant system, and some home appliances. Um, and there was a bit of a fail uh, as, he, as he tried to showcase some of those things. And she covers a few other highlights of the show. And, but one of the things that she mentions um, is that there is a, uh, there's such a big focus now on voice-activated personal assistant systems and artificial intelligence. So you've got Apple's Siri, you've got Microsoft's uh, Cortana, you've got uh, Android's OK Google and IBM's Watson Assistant. I mean, it's just such a, a large part of where technology is heading. And one expert that she spoke to said this, you know, all of them, all of those things have a way to go in real world situations. But it's very important, uh, but it's a very important direction of competition for these computing giants. Voice-controlled agents will eventually become proactive, giving you advice and information that's relevant to you. Pretty exciting, a little bit scary, but pretty exciting. And the rate of development of this kind of technology, um, the kind of technology that seeks to enable relationships between humans and machines is just phenomenal, isn't it? The acceleration of development is fairly mind-blowing. And technology has also opened up the floodgates for connection between people as well. You think of mobile phones and email and social media and online gaming has just really exploded in accessibility and influence. We can develop and maintain relationships without being restricted by any geographical proximity. And we can interact and learn from many different people and cultures, stirring this great opportunity for diversity uh, in our lives. Another great thing about the advance, these kind of advancements in technology is that it gives a voice to those who previously had no voice. You know, you think about uh, through social media that news and events are no longer purely uh, and only controlled and edited by executives and producers of mainstream media outlets. I mean, what about the opportunities that technology provides those who might be incapacitated or isolated? The opportunity for them to stay connected. And one of the most amazing things is that to think about all that, all that I've just said, we have access to all of that in the palm of our hand. I mean, it's incredible. For some of you, that's, that's all you've known, and you're like, so what? That's just how it is. But, you know, it, trust me, you know, it's incredible. There was another article this week um, in, the, in the paper with a focus on technology, uh, and it was an article by Megan Levy, and it was featuring uh, comments by Lifeline Australia CEO Peach Smigel. And it says this, It's the first time in the charity's 52-year history that the number of crisis and suicide prevention calls passed the 1 million mark in a year. While September to December was the busiest four-month period ever for the service's 24-hour crisis phone line. Mr. Smigel said that it's no coincidence that more Australians were seeking help at a time when they were also spending more time online. 
particularly on social media. And he says that we've seen this restructuring of conventional way of society. We don't know the neighbors on our own streets. And at the same time, you're getting this amazing phenomenon called social media, which I believe has the capacity to accelerate those senses of loneliness and isolation. He says, he goes on to say that the more connected we are online, physically we don't have time to be connected in real life. And that goes against the grain of hundreds of thousands of years of human experience. That we've been in families and we've been in communities because we need direct, real, human, sticky, gooey, social contact. It's what keeps us well. Thinking around uh, those comments uh, that um, Pete Smigel has made, there's someone else that shares similar concerns in the way in which technology is influencing the way we relate. And uh, it's it's a lady by the name of Sherry Turkle. Sherry Turkle is a psychologist, author, sociologist, and professor in the program of Science, Technology, and Society at MIT. And she's also the founder and director of MIT, uh, the MIT Initiative, uh, Technology and Self. And while technology is exciting and has many, many opportunities for unique connections that would not be possible without it, in her TED Talk in 2012, Uh, Sherry Turkle makes the case that we are letting the communication technology take us places that we don't want to go. TED Talks are are 20-minute talks about a wide range of ideas. They're filmed annually at the TED conference and then shared online. And in this TED Talk, Turkle presents some fairly confronting findings uh, from her 15 years of research focused on how technology is shaping our modern relationships with others, with ourselves, and with the technology. And she says about these little devices in our pockets, that these devices are so psychologically powerful that they don't only change what we do, they change who we are. Think about it. Texting or emailing during board meetings, going on Facebook or online shopping in classes and presentations, you know, only in a few years, this has become somewhat normal. Some might even say that it's multitasking and efficient. We only listen into the bits that we want to listen to and everything else is, is not important. You know, there, there's, um, there's even efforts being made by people that she has uh, talked with in developing the skill of making eye contact with one person while texting another person. Some of you might try that already. Um, and that, that this, is, this is something that which she points out is a bit of a warning sign for us. Parents and children text and email at breakfast and at dinner, uh, physically present but absent in what Turkle describes as sacred spaces for families. And after presenting how our way of relating to each other and ourselves is being shaped by technology, um, she asks this question, so what? Why does this matter? And we're going to watch a couple of minutes of her talk um, as she answers that question for herself. Why does this matter? It matters to me because I think we're setting ourselves up for trouble. Trouble certainly in how we relate to each other, but also trouble in how we relate to ourselves and our capacity for self-reflection. We're getting used to a new way of being alone together. People want to be with each other, but also elsewhere. 
connected to all the different places they want to be. People want to customize their lives. They want to go in and out of all the places they are because the thing that matters most to them is control over where they put their attention. So you want to go to that board meeting, but you only want to pay attention to the bits that interest you. And some people think that's a good thing, but you can end up hiding from each other even as we're all constantly connected to each other. 50-year-old businessman laments to me that he feels he doesn't have colleagues anymore at work. When he goes to work, he doesn't stop by to talk to anybody, he doesn't call, and he says he doesn't want to interrupt his colleagues because he says they're too busy on their email. But then he stops himself and he says, you know, I'm not telling you the truth. I'm the one who doesn't want to be interrupted. I think I should want to, but actually I'd rather just do things on my BlackBerry. Across the generations, I see that people can't get enough of each other. If and only if they can have each other at a distance in amounts they can control. She goes on to uh, ask us another question a bit later on about what's so, what's so bad about a conversation? Why are we hiding from each other? Why are we avoiding conversations? And she re reflects that conversations happen in real time, and you can't necessarily control what you're going to say. You know, all this, all this technology lets us present the self that we want to be. You know, we edit and delete and touch up to get it just right. But human relationships are rich, messy, and demanding. And Pete would add that they're tangly. Is that right? Tangly. And, and we clean these human relationships up with technology. A couple of weeks ago, um, Mark was talking about some research. That's Mark, the English one with a K, not Mark, the, the Canadian one with a C. And he was, he was talking to us a couple of weeks ago about the research that indicates our cognitive capacity for social interactions and, and our, our capacity for uh, a limited number of 150 social relationships. And yet, when you think about it, we can have a thousand Facebook friends and quite easily. And it's because these, uh, they're less demanding and easier to control. We're developing technologies like voice-activated uh, personal assistance and artificial intelligence, which give the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. And we turn to technology to help us feel connected in ways that we can comfortably control. You know, whether we like it or not, uh, this shapes us. We've all been shaped by this. I know, I know for me, uh, over, over the years, I've done a fair bit of work personally on um, things like assertiveness and being able to, to say what I really think um, without trying to control or, uh, or get too carried away with what someone might say in return. And for me, I know um, when I really struggled with that, technology was a safe haven. I could completely control everything, and it was a safe haven for me. It doesn't mean that technology was the cause of, of things that were going on for me, but it was this, uh, this allure of, of companionship that was safe to control. And, you know, some people might see that there's nothing really wrong with that, and that any loss in depth of relationship is some sort of collateral damage or, or just simply its progress in our pursuit of efficiency and productivity as a society. Sure, technology does help us to be more efficient 
and, pro- and productive. But at times, it's helpful to ask at what cost. And so if technology is redefining the, the way in which we relate, we, uh, we ought to talk about this. Not only from a psychological perspective, but we should also talk about it from a theological one. And I, I think as we reflect on it theologically, there's, there becomes a tension for us as Christians. And the tension is this, that our story as, as the people of God is a story of relationships and connections. I mean, think, think about uh, the way in which creation is described in Genesis 1 and 2. It's the formation of relationships, relationships between us and God, with, uh, between us and each other and us and the world. And then when we read about the fall in Genesis chapter 3 and the outcomes of that, the outcomes are those relationships are fractured, they're broken. And then as the Old Testament story unfolds and we see the law and the prophets, what, uh, what we see there is a, is a definition and an attempt to maintain those relationships in a broken context. You know, the, uh, all, uh, the law for the people of Israel was what it achieved was a definition of what relationship looked like between us and God, between each other and the world in a broken context. And the prophet's uh, ministry and uh, task with the kings and the leaders and the people of Israel was to hold them account to that definition of relationships. And then in the New Testament, Jesus shows up the one to redeem uh, all relationships, the one to usher in the renewal of all things, including relationships, and, and allowing us to know God in a human way. Jesus, God with us. And through Jesus' teaching and life, he turns uh, how we understand and perceive those relationships upside down. You know, as we enter into relationship with God, we enter into relationship with one another. As we're connected to the one and only Jesus Christ, we're at the same time connected with those who are also connected with Jesus. We don't all have our own little individual Jesus that's just for us. We don't even have our own little individual part of the one Jesus that's just for us and doesn't kind of be contaminated by anyone else. It's just kind of our little section. We're all connected together when we choose to follow Jesus. And you know, this is what a lot of the New Testament letters seek to address and speak into. Speak into as, as those that are changed by the power of the Spirit. How do we now live? How do we, how do we now live knowing what we know and experience what we experienced? How do we live with each other and the world around us? Our story our story as the people of God is one of relationships and connection. Deep, complex, intimate relationships with God, creation, and each other. And so there's a tension. There's a tension between how we see technology shaping our relationships and how we we see relationships through our, our theological perspective. And so as we become aware of this tension, how, how can this tension um, connect with how we relate uh, to one another, ourselves, and the world? As you can imagine from here, it could go in a myriad of different directions because this can relate to every aspect of, of relationships in every aspect of our lives. 
But what I want to do tonight is actually ground it a little bit for us and, and just talk to specifically how we relate here with each other, specifically how we relate as Gaimi Baptist Church. In 2014, as a church, uh, when our previous senior pastor, Carl, announced he was moving on, we decided to review where we're at as a church and where we sense God uh, calling us and leading us in a bunch of different areas. We gathered our thoughts and prayers and perspectives um, through a review process that included uh, an online questionnaire, uh, focus groups, and life group discussions. And one of, the, one of the themes that flowed out of that review was that, our, that there, there is a desire for a greater sense of community together. And, I mean, this was expressed in a, in a number of different ways from a number of different perspectives. But, and it's something that we will continue uh, to focus on uh, this year, particularly um, through our theme of going deeper. But as I reflected this week on our church and in relationship to this particular topic, I was confronted with a question. Do we as a church at Gaimia Baptist shape our Sunday gatherings and way of relating to one another in a way that has the illusion of companionship because there's a, a big friendly group of us without the demands of friendship? let alone the demands of who we truly are, brothers and sisters in Christ. Is this where our desire for a greater sense of community in part comes from? That we somehow subconsciously expect, because we gather together um, on a regular basis, that we are all on this progressive journey towards deep relationships and rich community while at the same time avoiding any complication or demand on us, initiating or investing into those relationships or that community. And as I was hit with that question and reflected on that, my suspicion is, yes, uh, in part, yes. I think there are aspects of how we shape our expression of church that give the illusion of community and yet we ask very little of each other. And we keep it all clean and neat. You know, politely smiling and nodding, talking to one another about the weather and sport and work, which is not, it's not negative, that's not negative in itself, but it can be, it can be a way we avoid the demands of being co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. It can be a way in which we seek to abdicate the shared responsibility of edifying and encouraging one another as we seek to be more and more like Jesus. Because to be more and more like Jesus, we need each other. You know, we often only think of the, of the positive, the many, the many positive aspects there are um, for us being in Christ and part of the kingdom of God. But what about the cost? What about the cost of being incorporated together in the kingdom of God? Because true human relationships cost. They cost us, and, and especially us, because we are those that follow in the example of Jesus, that, who gave so fully of himself for the benefit of others, not only as a way in which we can experience everlasting life, but as a model and an example for his followers. 
So what do we do with this? Well, the first thing we should not do is feel guilty and abandon technology altogether or think that it's all just because we use these devices. I mean, really, getting rid of our devices, would that really solve everything? You know, as I said before, there are many positive aspects to the way that we can now relate and communicate using technology, particularly those who are, are isolated or incapacitated, or particularly those who use it as a, a, a platform to have a voice where there was no other option for them to have a voice. I mean, there are great things about the development of technology and the way in which we can use it. I think we need to ask a question, though. And we need to ask, if this clean online type of relationships is what we do not want to define our relationships here in community at GBC, if we don't want to be a group of people that always keeps each other at a safe relational distance so we have complete control over those relationships, if that's what we don't want, and my hope is that that's what we don't want, that we don't want that as a community here at Gaimi Baps then what do we want our community to look like? What does it look like? Well, community here isn't just, can't be just about knowing everyone's name and spending more time together here. Because if just getting to know one another better was our sole priority, then we'd soon become a social club that happens to gather together on a Sunday. No, our, our community... Our community ought to be shaped and formed around the challenge of discipleship, becoming more and more like Jesus together. And it also should be shaped and formed around our shared experience, participating in God's unfolding mission in the world. That's what, that's what I, I see reflected in this passage in Titus. You know, if I could summarize the instructions uh, in this passage, because we don't have time to kind of go through them all uh, individually tonight. The instructions in this passage are that their relationships ought to be Jesus-shaped. They ought to be ones that, that see giving of oneself for the benefit of another, edifying and valuing everyone, no matter who they are, or what your status in society is compared to theirs. But this is done as they live amongst those yet to experience faith, love, and everlasting life. They are to live as an alternative community to the world around them in order that they might alert people to the power of the gospel at work within them. In verse, in verse 5, he talks about being self-controlled and pure and that, that, so that no one will malign the word of God. Down in verse 8, he talks about uh, having soundness of speech so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. And then at the end of verse 10, he talks about we should be doing these things so that in every way they will make the teaching of God about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Those things about people saying, uh, maligning the word of God and saying bad things about the followers of Jesus and, and seeing whether the gospel is attractive or not, that, that can only happen in close proximity to people. It can only happen as they live amongst the people. 
Now, Paul was writing uh, this letter to uh, a guy named Titus. That's what's the, the letter to Titus. And Titus was in Crete at the time, at the, serving the church there. And Crete was, has been described in history as a place full of greedy, drunkard liars. To be called a Cretan was synonymous. It was a, it was a, it was a terrible insult, and it was, a, it was synonymous with being called a liar. And it's into this context that Paul does not say, he doesn't say, you know, get on a boat and get out of there, run as fast as you can. But he says that they ought to live amongst them distinctively in order that people would see and experience the grace of God through Jesus. And so as we look to the truths and example in the Bible, like this one in Titus, we'll continue to understand what our community here at GBC ought to look like. Alongside, alongside that, we should also be you know, aware of the influences like technology in our lives. And we should also proactively seek ways to minimize its negative influence in how we relate to each other. We should be aware and we should try and uh, mitigate its negative influence. And while that might seem too great a challenge, Living under the influence of technology and, and holding the negative aspects of its influence on relationships at bay, it's just so pervasive and it's so ingrained in our functioning as individuals and a society. It may seem too great a challenge, but remember, remember as we've been talking about the last few weeks, that we don't do this, we don't do any of this from our own capacity. I mean, we don't even do it from our kind of collective capacity, as if we could all get together and just try really hard on our own and we'd be right. No, we do all that we do from the resourcing and capacity of God through Jesus. Let me briefly, just quickly read these very familiar verses from Ephesians chapter 1. And he talks about our glorious inheritance as his holy, so as his holy people, and his incomparable great power that is at work uh, for those that is at work in those who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul's reflecting here on that same power that God exerted in raising Jesus physically from the dead. That same power is at work amongst those who believe. That same power is at work amongst us. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have anything to do, but it does mean that we have the freedom to seek to live the impossible with God as our resource. We have the freedom in Christ to try and live in a way that cultivates and nurtures deep relationships, true Christ-shaped community, while acknowledging we are in some way shaped by our use of technology. It sounds impossible, and in our own strength, I think it is. But with the power of God at work, the impossible becomes possible. We can actually give this a go together, And trust that as we seek to live the impossible, the Almighty God is at work doing His own shaping and molding and influencing of us 
and our relationships. You know, our community together here at GBC is formed around the challenge of discipleship, and it's formed around our shared experience of partnering and participating in God's unfolding mission in, in the world. What might some of those proactive steps look like to counter the, the influence of technology amongst us? Well, I think, firstly, we need to talk about our faith. We need to talk about our discipleship with one another, talk about our doubts and our questions, talk about our insights and the way in which we've seen God at work in us, through us, in those around us. Because I think one of the great myths that we buy into sometimes is that if we talk about our faith, it's one of two things. It's either a sign of weakness or it's a sign of pride. And it's a myth. It's a myth that we buy into. And let me say that it's just simply, it's not true. Simply not true. Our deep, rich, life-giving community will not come about from, only from this hour or so a week that we spend together. But it will be formed as we participate together in God's mission, alerting people together through our lives of the universal reign of God in Christ. You know, Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom of God. He taught a lot about what it looks like as a community in that kingdom. But I just want to draw on two characteristics um, that he both taught and modeled, and they are generosity and hospitality. While we can learn and experience those characteristics here, our community will, will, won't be formed simply around our, what we learn and what we experience here. But as we, seek to, we, as we seek opportunities to bless those around us, we're going to develop generosity. I mean, you might live near someone else that's here, uh, and you might uh, talk about helping a neighbor out with something around the house. Or you might get together and, and organize um, some, uh, some gifts for, for your neighbors um, as the new year starts, or just randomly throughout the year just to um, bless those around you. And it's, through, and it's through those ways in which we will learn generosity. You know, as we open our homes and our lives and eat with people, we will develop hospitality. You, you might want to commit one meal a, a fortnight or a week that you set aside to eat with uh, your neighbors or those uh, others in your life, in your life um, to live out the hospitality of the kingdom and as a way of learning that hospitality. These are just a few quick examples and ways in which we can be aware and seek to mitigate the negative influence um, that technology can have in the way we relate. Because we're all living under the influence of technology. But in that context, as we see ourselves more and more as a sent people, to, as a sent people together, invited to participate in God's unfolding plan, His plan, His unfolding plan of the renewal of all things. And as we have a go at living it out together, it's in that space that we will allow, we will allow that, those values of community to shape our relationships and shape our community. 
And let me tell you, in that space, they will shape our relationships and community more than technology ever could. I want to take a moment to pray for us, particularly this week, as we seek to uh, begin to respond uh, to what God has been uh, placing on our hearts. And then uh, Dave and the team will come and lead us in a song. Would you allow me to lead us in a time of prayer? Lord God, we do thank you. We thank you for the way in which you have created us to have imagination and creativity and innovation and that we can apply that to so many aspects of our life. Lord God, we recognize as your people here that we are not immune from the influence of technology. But we also know that as your people, we are not, we are not controlled or mastered by it. Lord God, this week, might it be a week in which we see our community here at GBC shaped and formed around the challenge of discipleship together? Might it be a week in in which we see opportunities to participate in your unfolding plan together? That we might take those opportunities, share that experience, and in that, your great power would be at work bringing unity, bringing community, bringing deep relationships. And Lord God, would that be a testimony to those around us that the gospel is powerful, that we've experienced new life, and it's a life that is open, welcome, welcoming to all. And so we pray that you would be at work as we open ourselves to you this week because we pray it in Jesus' name.